We're going to, uh, I'm going to preach out of, uh, a little bit out of Philippians 4.13. Uh, I'm sure many of you know it, at least especially when I read it. And that is this. And actually, uh, we'll begin a little earlier in verse 10 of chapter 4. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Messiah, Christ, who strengthens me. Hmm. Lord, we just come before you and I pray that today, as in all days, our hearts can just be ready to receive from you. Father, we thank you that you are here in our midst, that your spirit is amongst us, that as we worship you, we minister to your heart. You are so faithful to come. And Lord, I pray that your presence would just continue to be here to set people's minds free from the way in which the world does things. But we can have a renewal of our mind through Messiah, through Jesus. Amen? This, uh, this message was a little tough for me uh, in preparation because it's one of those ones that uh, it's like I, was, I'm, I am preaching to myself kind of thing. Uh, I've actually, uh, many, many of you probably don't realize this, but I know my wife does. Um, I, have, uh, I have struggled uh, with contentment for, for a long time. It's been a real struggle for me. And you may say, well, you're like, you're crazy, right? I mean, like, if I look at my life, I say it's kind of crazy. I mean, I got a, a wonderful wife. I have three beautiful children. I have a house. I have a job. I'm in ministry. I'm healthy. Things are good. Like, there is no reason why I should not be content. Um, you know, I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jose, and I'm sure Jamie can have a, a little bit of a, an understanding of this as well, but I, I talked to Jose. It would be appropriate for me to use him as an example, but like, you know, I, I look at Jose, my brother-in-law's life. He's traveling the world, ministering the gospel of the power of, of, of the Lord and in worship to the nations. Like, I look at that and I'm like, oh, you know, I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I go and go teach kids and deal with the kids' parents, your parents' emails, complaining why Johnny didn't get an A on this and all that kind of stuff. And I deal with all that kind of stuff and, and, and live that kind of life and, you know, Hey, it's a job. It's a great job. It's an impacting job. It's a job that provides money for my family. But I look at it, someone like Jose or Jamie. I'm like, look at what they're doing. It's like amazing. And I have a hard time finding the contentment. But I've always, it's not, it's not like just an adult thing. It was kind of like this as a kid as well. And I was talking to Jose about it. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, the flip side of this is, Dave, you wake up in the morning and you get a paycheck. And you... Or hanging out with your family. You get to see your daughter come off the, the bus every day. You know? Like, you know, they just say, like, the grass is always greener on the other side. But the water bill's higher. You know? <laughs> so I look at his life. The grass looks greener. But the water bill is higher. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't get to have a, a uniformity to his life to some, to some extent. And then he may look at my life and, and say, oh, look at that. But he doesn't see the, the water bill that is higher for me with, with some of the things I have to deal with. And so contentment is, has been a, a little bit of a problem. It's a little weird because you may look at someone's life and say, holy cow, why on earth would that person not be content? And here's the reality. Contentment is an internal reality. 
not an external perception. So if you don't have contentment inside of your soul, inside of your spirit, man, it doesn't matter what you are doing in life. I am telling you, if I don't have contentment now, if I lived Jamie's life or if I lived Jose's life, I still would not have contentment. Because it's not something that's external, it has to be something that was within. And that's the difference between being poor and having a poverty mindset. Like, poor people in the third world are largely, I mean, obviously if they're starving to death, but you know what I'm talking about, like they're living in a hut or they're really struggling in comparison to the Western life. You, you look at them, like, you know, they're happy. They're content. Things are good. I'm not talking about necessarily like the slums of India where, you know, really horrendous, but I'm talking about like third world countries. Because it's a place of the heart. It's not a place of the eye in many regards. And so I was mulling about this and I'm looking at our congregation and wondering, and today, if you haven't noticed yet, is a, is, is a sermon, Jesus on Sisyphus, which I'll explain in a little bit. Contentment versus complacency. Uh, but, you know, looking at it as, 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 as a body here, uh, I, I, you know, we're, we have a lot of different generations that are represented here, which is really cool. We have my grandmother and Anne and also Helen uh, that represent the greatest generation. At least that's what we call them. There's some, I will not mention your names, I don't want you to be upset at me, but they are referred to as the silent generation. You know who you are. Um, and then, of course, baby boomers. Generation X. We have uh, the infamous millennial, which I am a millennial when I benefits me, and I'm not a millennial when it doesn't benefit me, because I was born in 1980, so it depends on who you ask. I may be a millennial, I may not be a millennial, and it's all depending on what I'm talking about. And of course, we have Gen Z, the youngest, right? And so what happens here is we, we largely have a cultural problem of ill contentment, meaning a lack of contentment. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying if we take a look at the culture of that generation, I think we can make some, some, some parallels and some patterns to contentment, or rather not being content. Uh, largely speaking, uh, the baby boomers got the quote-unquote bad rap of their ill contentment with wanting and needing to have more, more money. Right? That, that's the generation who was like, oh, the average price house or the average size house in America is uh, a house in Levittown. In the 1950s, it's about 1,000 square feet. Now, the average size home is about 2,000 square feet. So, the baby boomers doubled the size of just the basic American dream. Right? It's more, 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 more money, nicer cars. It's, that's always been a, a paradigm, but it's argued by sociologists and historians that the baby boomers kind of took it up a little bit more. If you're a baby boomer, it doesn't mean that's you and that your viewpoint, but we're talking about a cultural paradigm. So this brings us to the crazy millennials, which is not me. Is anyone born 1981 or, and, and later? If you're born in 1980, you're not one of them. So I'm not a millennial in this circumstance. Uh, they say millennials have a different paradigm. They actually don't care as much about money, which is very, very bizarre for someone who's not a millennial. They care about the experience experiences. This is crazy to my generation X mind. It has been said, the studies show that if a millennial is offered a $100,000 a year job, 
or a $40,000 a year job, they will take the $40,000 a year job if they feel that there's enough flexibility in the job in order for them to pursue all of their hipster things that they like to pursue. My mind is like, dude, take the hundred grand. 40,000, 100,000, like you got the weekend and do what you want. But the vast majority of millennials be like, I'd rather not have the money and I'd rather feel authentic and have the experiences that I would like. And be able to travel and do all these things. And live at home. But you see the difference. You see the difference. Now, here's the thing. If you're going after money, fine, you're going after money. If you're going after experiences, you're going after experiences. But the question here is why are you going after money and why are you going after more experiences? I would argue to you is because you have not learned to be content in all things. And so now, essentially, what's happening, whether it's the money or it's the experiences, you have a problem. The problem is that you are looking and searching for a feeling. And since you are searching for a feeling, if that feeling does not give it to you, if you cannot find it through money or through experiences, you will find new things. And those new things will be alcohol, will be drugs, will be food, will be sex, will be promiscuity. It will be whatever it may be that, needs to, that you need to find that feeling on. And you're not finding contentment. Now, I want to warn us here a little bit. You, you, can, you cannot confuse being content... And having faith for what God wants for you. You can be content and also still be believing for what God wants for you. But you have to be very careful because the lines are very blurry. Put it this way. I as a pastor, you as a church body, when will you be content in this church? When we reach 50 people, which we're about. 100 people? 150 people? 200? 300? 400? 1,000? Some of you are like, I don't care. That's good. That's a good way to look at it in, in, in many regards. Like, when will you feel content in your ministry? When will you be content in church? It's a very, very, very dangerous principle. Because if you're not content in 50, you will not be content in 1,000. And then you're going to start doing things that are not the gospel but you're just going to try to do things to bring more people in. Because you're searching that high to get more people in the seats. And then you might not care about who's in the seats and what kind of development spiritual you're happening to them. That's the problem. You have to be content with 50 or 30. But yet also believe that God has a work that he wants us to do, but you can find contentment in the now. And this is why a lot of ministries will fall. So a lot of ministries that were known for signs, wonders, and miracles and power now are no longer known for signs, wonders, miracles, and power. They're known for just being a big church and a trendy church. And there's lots of them out there. It's a very, very dangerous thing. It's a very sad thing. So it's not just in the church world. It's in obviously in your life. Being ill-content is different than believing God to do a mighty work. If you're not content now, you will never be content because you're chasing a feeling. You're not walking after God. Get it? All right. So this brings me to a very unlikely comparison, and that is the story of the myth of Sisyphus. 
Now, before you cast stones at me, bringing in Greek mythology, I'm not saying that the Greek mythology is giving us answers. I'm saying it's giving us some questions. If you read uh, the teachings of Yeshua, of Jesus, there is plenty of Socratic method. The philosophy of Socrates is there with the way in which Jesus is talking and preaching. So I just want to give you a little bit of an understanding of this because I believe that many of us may feel like Sisyphus. So the story of Sisyphus is this. There's a guy by the name of Sisyphus who supposedly started the Greek city of Corinth. It's very interesting. He fools the gods in multiple things and essentially fools the gods in order for him to have immortality. He just, he's a deceiver. He deceives them. And so he gets busted, particularly by Zeus. And Zeus says unto Sisyphus, Ah, you got us, you little deceiver. You got us on immortality and all this kind of stuff. You made yourself like the gods. So we're going to punish you. And your punishment will be, for all of eternity, you need to push a boulder up a mountain. Man. We can go to the, uh, the video. Uh, there's no music on this one, but you just uh, switch. And here's a, a 3D animation of a Sisyphus moment. All of eternity, he's doing this. And he gets to the top. All right. We can switch back, please. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the top or not in that animation, but the punishment is he gets it to the top. Does anyone know what happens once he gets it to the top? Zeus, with his finger, hits the rock and it rolls all the way back down. And now tomorrow he wakes up and he has to do it again. And he gets to the top and rolls down. He's got to do it again for all of eternity. Wow! I mean, this is like, this is bad stuff. I mean, this is like the ultimate futile act that one can do. Every day, the same thing with no accomplishment of the mission. And so I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about contentment. And I was wondering, not when he's pushing the rock up, but after a rock rolls down, and Sisyphus has to walk down the mountain, what on earth would he be thinking about? Like pushing it up, I understand. My back hurts. I'm tired. This is never going to come to an end. Oh my goodness. Then the rock rolls back down. The guy has to walk back down. Like what could you be thinking about? It's like, holy cow, man. For all of eternity, the ultimate futile act. And here it is, man. Uh, I don't know what kind of life you have. I don't know what kind of job you have. I don't know if you're jobless or got a job. You like your job. You don't like your job. I don't know what's going on. But if you're anything like me, discontentment or ill-contentment can leak into your life. I, maybe you have a nine-to-five job that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Anyone? Three to eleven. All right, so you guys like have nine to five jobs. Everyone thinks it's going somewhere. Like right? on the chart of career, up the mountain. All right. Well, all right. Cool. 
Some of us, if you come clean, you're like, I got a nine to five job and it doesn't seem to be going really where I would want it to go. Maybe some of you may even have a life that may be kind of seeming like it's in a rut at times. Maybe if anyone is here, or maybe I just got this wrong, you feel kind of like a Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a rock and you don't see any fulfillment to what you're doing. If you don't, awesome. But maybe you will one day. And maybe you know someone that has that. And so I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, hmm, when Sisyphus is walking down the mountain, or when he's walking up the mountain, pushing the boulder, what would Jesus say to him? What would Jesus say to him? Now what Sharon just said is a very romantic thing. Drop the boulder and go with me. That's me. Drop working at a, in the high school. Stop pastoring and go travel with Jose and Jamie. Because Jesus is saying, follow me. That would be that. Is that what Jesus would say to Dave? I would like him to say that. Maybe not the pastoring part, but getting rid of the high school part. What would Jesus say to Sisyphus? So I know what religion would say. This is going to disrupt some of us. What would religion say? Work harder, Sisyphus. Push faster. And if you do a really good job and you get that boulder up to the top, something better will come. Just work a little harder at your job, be a little bit more faithful, get a little bit more education, do this, do that, and something better surely will come. Now, that might be true in work, and that may be true in life. But for Sisyphus, that's not what's true. He's destined to perform the act over and over and over and over again. That's the weird paradigm that I'm creating. You get what I'm saying? Let's just imagine something for a moment. Let's just imagine for a moment, what if wherever you are at in life, wherever you're at, like the exact place, like Jamie, your ministry is at the level that it's at. I'm living like my crazy life the way that it's at. Whatever you're doing out there, that is where you're at. You're making the same amount of money. You're doing the same thing. Essentially, you're remaining in some kind of life like Sisyphus. Just imagine that right now. There's no upper mobility in things. No progress. It just is what it is. In that, I think this is the power of where you find the contentment. It's easy to pretend that you are content, believing that something better is coming. That is not contentment. What would Jesus say to you if you were doing that same thing like Sisyphus day in, day out, and there's no progress? I think Jesus would say unto Sisyphus in this crazy, weird paradigm, Sisyphus, if I walked with you up this mountain, could you? Would you? Now be happy. Come on, Corey Ten Boom. Christian. In a concentration camp. Finds contentment in the Holy Ghost. 
and the power of suffering and being a light unto the Jewish people in the concentration camp. And you and I can't be a light when we go to the DMV. You can't find meaning in going to Dunkin' Donuts. You can't find the purpose of existence going to your cubicle in your office space. That's contentment. And so what if you continued in your 9 to 5 job that you didn't like? What if you were doing something that doesn't really appear exciting? What if you didn't move on to the next thing? I feel like Jesus is saying, if you're doing that, if you walked beside me, could you and would you be happy and content? I don't know. Because you are walking beside me, but there's moments of ill contentment. I think Jesus would say the point is not climbing to the top of the mountain. The point is climbing with him. That's very, that's very antiquated thinking. The baby boomer will say push harder, work harder, get to a bigger mountain and get to a bigger thing. Get after it. The millennial will say, well, you know, pushing up the mountain is fine if I could have a little time to listen to my Spotify playlist. And if I'm able to take pictures of myself pushing up the mountain and putting it on Instagram, then we're good. No, the point is not that. The point is being with him. Colossians 3, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do unto the Lord. Do it heartily, full of life. That's including pushing a boulder up, the rock, up, up, up a mountain. That's, that's including like waking up in the morning and doing the job that you really don't like. See, the point is not completing the task. The point is how you do the task. If you do it with Jesus, if you do it unto the Lord, you will be content and the world will see Jesus with you. This is the point that I think unle un unleashes the understanding of contentment. Whatever you do, the world is watching you. What is more important for you to push that boulder up and get your little like increased salary or increased job or your fulfillment of your next wanderlust in ministry? Or is it that everything you do, walking down the street and going into the 7-Eleven, that people see Jesus with you? That's got to be it. And if you think I'm crazy, which many of you do, that's probably why the church isn't very large yet. But that's okay. Here's to the crazy ones, Steve Jobs said. The people that change the world are the ones that are crazy enough to believe it. Fine, we'll talk about another crazy person, Paul. So I'm going to give you some more scriptural proof text of this. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. We read it already. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me or gives me strength. So, what do we learn? This craziness. He says, I've had plenty. I've been wealthy in some regards, Paul. Like, things were good. And he learned contentment. 
but he also learned what it was to lack and to be a base and to be poor. And he found contentment. Because contentment is not an external perception. It is an internal reality of the soul. So how does Paul find content contentment? Do you know that right here, Paul is sitting in jail? Now, as Rembrandt drawing this beautiful picture of Paul in like this luxurious penthouse jail cell, that bro was like in a, a, a hole in the ground, right? A little cave kind of thing, right? And he's writing this. I've learned to be content. The guy is in jail. And he's content knowing the power of Jesus' suffering. It's like, I can't get, can't get content, you know, my air conditioner in my car, driving to work and, and doing my thing. I can't be content in that. Yeah, Paul the Apostle is content in all things, and he's sitting in a jail cell, is a glorified cave, and he might be sentenced unto death. And he's finding contentment. Corey Ten Boom in, 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 in the Holocaust finds a level of contentment of understanding the power of the gospel in the most horrendous circumstances. I can't find contentment. Woo! You know? Kind of crazy. Why and how does he find the contentment? It's because Paul's vision is set. Paul's vision is set higher than the task that is at hand. I want to say this again. We got to get this in your millennial little brain past the earbuds, and we got to get this past your little baby boomer four hundred one k. Not that a four hundred one k is bad. I like four hundred one k's, but you got to get it past this kind of register, man. I don't like air buds, though. It's too weird. He sets his vision higher than the task that is at hand. Philippians 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, being put in jail, being stoned, all that good stuff, that all the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Messiah. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is a guy that glorifies in the suffering of being in a jail cell. Oh. Everyone in the palace knows I'm here because of Jesus and his message and his power. I've learned that I could do all things. Could you find that kind of joy? Being in a jail cell. Probably, I think most of us know. Because many of us may not be finding joy and contentment in the daily grind. Some of us do. Some of us don't. Can you find joy in the daily, daily grind? Cleaning someone's toilets, waking up in the morning, working the night shift, doing all of that stuff. Those seemingly meaningless tasks, they're only meaningless if you do not give them meaning. They have meaning if you do all things heartily unto the Lord so people shall see you and they see Jesus beside you. And then people know what you're doing is unto the Lord. Paul says, I can do all things, all things with contentment. Yes, even the mundane tasks, because his vision is set higher than the task. 
Because Paul's eyes are on him, Jesus, who are, who's beside him. And now people will see Jesus with him. So could you find the contentment walking or pushing that boulder up the mountain if Jesus says, but people would see us. People would see the manifestation of my glory. Mary, if you can come on down, please. I feel like I need an, we need an amen or something in the house. I lower it. So as I was joking before, you got Paul in prison finding contentment. I can't find contentment when I go to the DMV. Department of Motor Vehicles. Although, if you want to know the secret, I will let you in on the DMV in Bucks County that has the least amount of people in it. I can't say it publicly because then we're going to ruin this experience. Thing is, do not go to the Chamonix Mall one. That one is packed. There's another one which I will not mention because this is going to go on a website. I cannot mention, but if you want to know, there's a secret. Jamie, I hope, knows the secret. It's not too far from where we live. Oh, yeah. Definitely. They don't know where I live or where Jamie lives. It's all right. That's all right. Somewhere in Brooks County. <laughs> so Paul says I can do all things. All things, even the mundane tasks, even in being in jail, I can find contentment because I have Jesus beside me. And I know that whatever I do, people are watching. And I want them to see what I do, whether it's profound or mundane, I want them to see the beauty of the Son of God in my life. But then he says, but I have learned the secret. See, it's not like you just wake up and now you're suddenly content. He says, I have learned how to be content. Amen. How does he learn in the secret? Man, when you're brought down low, there's nowhere else to go but to him. Come on, when you're on the cross, when you're, when you're in a jail cell, when life has gotten so low... You just say, man, the only thing that can remain is just he and him, Jesus. When you get to that place, you say, he is beside me. And then I know, I know that there can be joy in the suffering. There can be joy in the difficulty. Because people see Jesus crucified through my life. And so maybe Paul, maybe you, well, we definitely know Paul, but maybe you, and maybe even Sisyphus. Bring the piano down a little bit, please. Maybe you and Sisyphus can learn too. And maybe Sisyphus, walking with Jesus for all eternity, pushing his rock up a mountain, maybe Sisyphus learned so well that one day he gets up to the top of that mountain like every other day, he's sweating it out, he's grinding up, and he's rolling this rock up the mountain. And one day, since he's walked with Jesus all day, pushing this rock up, he's up there and out of his own free will, he goes. And pushes the rock down himself. And Zeus, the gods, are like, well, why, 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 did he, why would he push the rock down? And he just stands and says, I'm pushing the rock down because I'm walking down and I get to push that rock up again unto Jesus, him walking beside me. 
That's when you get contentment. Willingly choosing whatever it may be because it doesn't matter. Because what I do doesn't matter. How I do it is what matters. Glorifying the King of Kings so people can see Jesus in our life. Amen? So my dilemma, closing up this, my dilemma has been this, to be honest. My, my, my lack of contentment in life is because I have confused contentment with complacency. See, I, I'm a type of person that's like, I want to go get it, man. Carpe diem. Seize the day. You know? I want to wake up and like suck the marrow out of life, as Henry David Thoreau said. Like, that's how I want to be. And if I'm not seemingly sucking the marrow out of life, driving life into a corner, right? If I'm not doing that, it's like, eh, you know, I must be content. And the Lord is like, no. It's not how it works. Do not confuse contentment with complacency. And this is really what it is. Complacency is being passive. Contentment is being active. There's a lot of people that think they're content and they're actually just complacent, passive people. They're just like apathetic, lazy. That's not contentment. That's complacency. Contentment is active in the satisfaction of Jesus, believing for the impossible, but engaging in the present. You got to be active. Whatever you're doing, you have to be active. Like, I have a junky job, and it's not that great. But you're active. You're not passive. You're like, but it's a junky job, but it's not about the job. It's not about the task. It's about how we do the task, inviting the Holy Ghost in it so that I can be a witness unto my workplace, man. You think it matters what your 401k is when you, when you die? I was telling Jose, he said something on God TV that I kind of taught him, and, and I worked with him about, about Israel, and he said it with 80 million people on television. I'm not going to lie to you. Part of me was like, that was mine. I should be on the TV with 80 million people. Because I, I showed him that way. And I had a check in my spirit. I was like, David, that silly little thing that was so profound, you are going to get no recognition for that. But when you get up here, you're going to be laid down that crown at my feet. The things that you get recognition for cannot be a crown that you lay down at his feet. No recognition. Oh, evermore the crown. I'm doing it unto Christ. My life's crucified. No glory to me, Lord. Less of me, more of you. Let your name be hallowed on earth. That's how you get a content, pure heart. And if you get no affirmation at work, good. Now you get to lay that crown down at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I got no recognition. I got no affirmation. No one said anything, but people saw me and they saw you with me. I'm laying the crown down at your feet, at your holy throne where the four living creatures are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the difference between complacency and contentment. Should I stop? No, okay, I got a little more. A little bit more. Woo! Guys, we're, I'm telling you, we're going to look back at like, these types of weirdo messages when there's 400 people and there's 500 people in this place and now we're tempted to change. Let this sit in your soul. 
Because you got a meaningless job now, you feel like, but what happens when you have an awesome career that you're really proud of? These are the moments you got to go back to and be like, oh man, remember when I was in that abyss. Remember when I was in that place. I relied solely on the power of the Holy Ghost to get through my day. It's easy to do it now, man, but when things are good, things get hard. And so when this place is like 500 people, 400 people, we got to think about creating another church somewhere else in Bucks County or Philadelphia. These are the times you have to be like, oh man, you remember? We're just like, we're just going to serve and find Jesus no matter what. David, 1 Samuel 16, he is anointed king of Israel underneath Nathan the prophet. But he's not acting as king yet. He remains a shepherd boy in the wilderness. Can you imagine? The prophet of God, Natan, comes to David and says, The Lord of Israel, Mashiach, anoints you king over Israel. And the next day he wakes up, and before the sun comes up, he's got to head out to the hills of Bethlehem, and he's got to check on the sheep, and he's got to wander around with them and do all this stuff. He's got to smell like the dung of sheep. He's out, I mean, it gets cold in Bethlehem in the winter, man. It, it could even snow, and it's cold rain. And he's out there, and he's probably like, I thought I was a king. But David, in that circumstance, he is not complacent. I'm anointed king, yet I'm doing this junky job still? He doesn't even say junky job, probably. He says, I'm complacent. I'm not complacent. I'm content. Can you imagine? Someone who's anointed king over Israel is in the wilderness. And when he's there as a contented soul, as a young man, knowing that he's been anointed king at that moment in that place in the wilderness with the sheep, man, with no one else around, he's able to commune with God. He's able to write some of the Psalms. He learns how to kill the lion and the bear. The dude is not complacent. He's content in the moment knowing that if things change, the Lord shall be the one who does it. He is active in his contentment. But oh man, one chapter later, 1 Samuel 17, there is a complacency. Not in David, but there's a complacency in the nation of Israel. You have Israel, you got the Philistines, you got Goliath. The Israelites are, man, we're not fighting the Philistines. No way. We're not going to be active. We're going to be passive. This is too much. And only, and only one person that could find contentment in the seemingly mundane tasks has the audacity to have contentment that is active and says, is there not a cause in Israel? No one else. The king can't even say that. But a guy that finds contentment in the mundane, day-to-day grind of picking up the sheep dung, he's the one that's like, oh, my God is with me. Is there not a cause? What are you guys doing? Why are you being complacent? Get after it. Go after the Lord. And so David, who has found contentment, is able to engage the present because he has learned to be content. And how did he learn to be content? By pushing that boulder up a mountain. And what was the boulder? Waking up every day when all of his brothers are hanging out and having a good time with all the cool kids and he's out there in the middle of nowhere by himself in all conditions of all this kind of stuff being the youngest of all. Every stinking day, a shepherd boy, day in, day out, but content because he was walking with God. 
And so when Goliath comes onto the scene through his contentment, he can continue to be fully present with God and defeats Goliath. And when he defeats Goliath, something happens. He astounds Israel and provokes Israel to see the one true living God. And righteousness is brought up in the nation of Israel again. <laughs> Contentment is understanding a reality. And the reality was brought forth by many great thinkers in the word, but it was also brought forth by the famous Christian philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, that is this. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. That reality to be experienced is a reality with Jesus. Too many of us go through our life trying to unlock the problems of life, trying to solve them. Life is not a problem to be solved. Life is something to be walking with Jesus. That's not a problem. It's awesome. For so many of us in church, in ministry, in life, always trying to solve some fictitious problem. To solve the problem is to really experience Jesus. Right? So I'll leave you with this. You meditate on this, Psalm 27. You'll be forced to find contentment. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. From whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Here it is. This I will be confident. Doesn't matter if I have to wake up tomorrow at five and teach a bunch of bratty kids. If I gotta go clean the toilets at work. The one thing I have desired of the Lord. The one thing that I will seek. And I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place he shall hide me. In the secret place of his tabernacle. Father, we pray that we can be a people that are content and that you can unlock the contentment of Paul, of David, in us. That contentment being sending our sights higher than the task that is at hand. We're not just a school teacher or a janitor or office person or a stay-at-home mom or someone looking for a job. That's not who we are. We are sons and daughters of God that we've been created to walk in the cool of the garden with our Father. And Father, I pray that we can be content with that pursuit that we would learn that in all things, whether, whether we are wealthy or we are poor, whether we are glorified or abased, that we can walk in lives that are consistent with walking with you. That we would say in our life, Lord, I don't care how much money I get or how little money I get. What I want to do is to see your name hallowed and glorified on earth. I want to see the captives restored and brought into your kingdom wherever I am. And I just want to be with you and see your beauty and to acquire of you in your temple. Amen. I encourage you this week to do that. 
Because starting tonight is the festival of Sukkot, which is known as the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a feast that God commanded Israel to do, to be reminded that God, Emmanuel, is with us and has chosen to tabernacle with us, to be with us. This is the perfect week for you to just plug into the reality that God had came in the form of Jesus to reconcile all things so that we can walk beside him and that the world could see. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We have refreshments downstairs if you like. But I just encourage you, if you, if you have time, to just stay in the presence right here. I just encourage you to find contentment with Him.